Thank you, choir, orchestra, all state chorus, Caroline. You have blessed us today and we appreciate that so much. We're going to begin a new series today entitled The Miracles of Jesus. Jesus performed many miracles and so we are going to look at some of them during these next several weeks. I'm not sure which ones, but as the Lord leads, we will look at some of His miracles. There are two basic words in Scripture that are translated miracle. One of them is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. Vines translates that power inherent ability. It is used of works of a supernatural origin and character such as could not be produced by natural agents and means. So there is the word dunamis, and then there is the word samion. Vine says that it means a sign, mark, token is used of miracles and wonders as signs of divine authority. So when Jesus was here, he performed physical miracles. He, he caused the dead to be raised from uh, the grave. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, he walked on water, those kinds of things. Now obviously, in order to do that, he had to suspend the natural laws in order to accomplish these miracles, the physical miracles. Then there were moral miracles, such as forgiveness of sin, the casting out of demons, things of that nature. The first miracle, the first recorded miracle that he performed, however, was turning the water into wine. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1 as we look at this first miracle. And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification concerning 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter, and they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then that which is poorer. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right, the first recorded miracle Jesus performed was in this little town of Cana. It is about 15 miles to the northwest of Tiberias, about six miles to the northeast of Nazareth. Some of us drove through that little town about three weeks ago. So it's just a, a small town. Now in verse number 11, John refers to this as being a sign. So why did he call it a sign? He refers to this as being turning the water into wine as being a sign. Why? 
Well, because John said the purpose of his gospel was to declare or prove to you that Jesus was the Son of God. So he is saying then that this is a sign that accomplishes or fulfills or supports that purpose. So John then refers to this as being a sign because it is a sign signifying that Jesus is the Son of God. Now the occasion of course is at a wedding. Hopefully you recall that there are two distinct parts of a Jewish marriage. There's the betrothal. The betrothal is the time when the bride and the groom agree to marry each other. There is no intimacy at this time, but there is a legal standing during the betrothal. The second part is the marriage itself, when they actually get married. Now then at the wedding, the rabbi pronounces a sevenfold blessing on the bride and the groom. They recite their vows, they exchange rings, the congregation cries out congratulations, and then the party begins, the festivities begin. That's where we are in this. You might ask the question, as I would, why would Jesus perform his first miracle at a wedding? All of these people are there. He performs this first recorded miracle. Why at a wedding? I think it was because he wanted to emphasize the significance of marriage. Now, now folks, marriage was not something that was born in the mind of man. It was something that was born in the heart of God. So I believe that Jesus performed his first miracle there because he wanted to emphasize the significance of the husband-wife relationship. The chief purpose of marriage is procreation. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse number 28, and God blessed them, this is Adam and Eve, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So when God then brought Adam and Eve together in the Garden of Eden, it becomes obvious to us that the chief purpose of marriage is procreation. However, there is a greater purpose. You see, if procreation is the only purpose of marriage, then polygamy would be a more effective way of accomplishing that. Well, then what would be the purpose or the greater purpose of marriage. I believe it is to establish the family. The reason the primary or the, 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 the greater purpose of marriage is to establish the family that becomes the foundation and the cohesion for society. So why did the Lord then establish the family that it might provide order and foundation to all of society. Now, Plato believed that the state was the foundation for society. And because the state was the foundation for society, then the children should be counted as belonging to the state. Because the state, he believed, was the foundation that means then that the state had the responsibility of educating the children. Aristotle, on the other hand, believed that the family was the foundation. 
that the children should be counted as belonging to the family and that the family had that primary responsibility of education. We still struggle with this notion today, do we not? What is foundational for the state? Well, there are those who believe that it is the state. The state is foundational for society. And then there are those who believe that it is the family, that the family is the foundation on which society is built. And certainly that's what I believe. I believe that the foundation of society is the family. After all, the first learning environment for the child is the family. It is in the family that we first learn about love. I remember as a boy, when my dad would come home from work and he would walk into the kitchen and kiss my mother, I, I have that picture in my mind. But I learned about love from my family as I watched my father and my mother. And I learned how a father or a husband was to treat his family by watching my mother and father. You see, folks, we learn about love in the family relationship. That's where we first learn about it. We learn responsibility in the family relationship. When my children were young, I would tell them to do something and they would ask the question, how much are you going to pay me? And my response was, I'm not paying you anything. That is your responsibility for being a member of this family. We learn about responsibility in the family. We learn about love in the family. And we are first educated in the family. Homeschooling is not something new. It began a long time ago because that is where the child first learns. The education comes from the family. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old he will not depart from it. So we are to start early according to scripture. Train up a child in the way he should go. The problem we have is that we reverse a lot of things and this is one of them. That we reverse them as far as our implementation. You see when your child is small, when they are very young, you should be very strict with them because you're instilling within them values and this learning experience. When they become 11, 12, 13 years old, during that period, they are, trans, they are, are, are moving into adulthood. So at that point, we need to allow them to make some decisions and to suffer the consequence of those decisions. So when they are very young, we should be strict. When they get to be 10, 11, 12 years old, we begin to loosen up. We do the reverse. When they are very young, we are very lenient with them. Why? Because they're cute. I mean, isn't it? I mean, they do all of these terrible things, so isn't that cute? But then when they get to be 10, 11, 12 years old, we begin to clamp down on them. Why? Because they embarrass us. Well, that is the reverse of what God intended. We are strict when they are young and we become more lenient when they get to be 10, 11, 12 years old. Train up a child 
and then you recognize the individuality of that child in the way he should go. That is literally translated in his own way, recognizing that each one is different. So why did Jesus then perform his first miracle at a wedding? I believe that it was to emphasize the significance of family, that it is foundational to society. And then he validated marriage with his presence. Verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding in Cain of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there and Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. So his presence then validated marriage. His presence was a testimony of his approval. Now we attend what we approve. That, that is true with you. You attend what you approve. Another reason I think Jesus was there is because he was sociable. He liked people and they liked him. One person wrote, he was no prune-faced, sad-eyed recluse who was void of any humor. Jesus was likable. We don't normally think of him in those terms because he's God. But when I read the stories about Jesus, children like to be around him. Children don't like to be around grouches. Have you noticed that? Children liked him, so children came to him. So it begins by attending a wedding. And then the wine runs out, verse 3, And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now I know as Baptists that doesn't mean a lot to you. Be careful. <laughs> but in order to make sense to Baptists, let's say that you have a fellowship and you run out of ice cream. All right, it would, be, it would be similar to that. But you see, in Scripture, wine oftentimes symbolizes joy. You can read that throughout Scripture. Wine oftentimes symbolizes joy. So what you have here then is a joyous occasion that becomes gloomy. They run out of wine. That happens a lot, doesn't it? A joyous occasion loses its joy. A wedding is a joyous occasion. Everybody has a good time. They anticipate it. They come. It is a joyous occasion. Oftentimes marriage is not. What happens? What happens from the time you say I do until 10 years later, five years later? I mean you walk down the aisle with one person, you walk out of the church with someone else. So a wedding then is a joyous occasion, but marriage many times is not. Having a child is a joyous occasion. They have showers, you know, they paint the bed, their bedroom for the child, and put a little bassinet in there, all those kinds of things. It's a joyous occasion. But then a rebellious child can break the heart of the parent who gave it birth. Joyous occasions, not joyful. The joy of success can be shattered by failure. So what you have here is the people who are celebrating, but the wine runs out. Here a people have gathered to celebrate a joyous occasion, but now it has become gloomy. So what is the solution? Verse number three. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. In other words, 
Jesus is the solution when the joy runs out. I, uh, there are some people I enjoy being around. I, I love being around them because they are joyous. There are some people I don't enjoy being around because they are not joyous. Jesus had great joy and brought joy wherever he was. Here at this wedding, his mother knew that he was the answer. When he was crucified, rose from the grave, he met with the disciples, and the Bible says that there was great joy. Folks, where Jesus resides and presides in a church, there's joy. I really believe that. I know there are a lot of churches where everybody is always griping and fussing and fighting and carrying on doing the things that are ungodly. When Jesus is the focus of a church, there's joy there. When Jesus is the focus of your Sunday school class, there's joy there. When Jesus is the focus of the choir, there is joy when they sing. The solution to a joyless occasion is Jesus. The wine ran out. Joy was gone. We see the mother's appeal in verse number 4 when Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. She believed that Jesus could fix things. Whatever he says to you, do it. But we have to look at verse number four first. That seems strange, does it not? Woman, what have I to do with you? Woman, that's his mother. Why didn't he call her mother? Woman, what do I have to do with you? Barnes wrote, this term woman, as used here, seems to imply reproof, as if she was interfering in that which did not properly concern her. But it is evident that no such reproof or disrespect was intended by the use of the term woman instead of mother. It is the same term by which he tenderly addressed Mary Magdalene after his resurrection and his mother when he was on the cross. His mother believed that he could fix things because he is omnipotent. She said, whatever he says, do it, because he is omnipotent. He has all power. He is the creator. The scripture says in John 1, 3, all things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He is the creator. He is the one who spoke this world into existence. And then he is the sustainer of creation. The scripture says in Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. You know, there's a debate as to, you know, not a debate, but there's discussion about the atoms and so forth that hold all things together. No, it's Jesus that holds all things together. Jesus is the creator and he holds all things together. And through his power, because he is omnipotent, then he provides everything we need. What do you need? You need power, you need strength. The Bible says in Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
He provides peace. If you're looking for peace, the Bible tells us that we receive peace from Him. He provides for our needs, whatever they are. They needed wine at the wedding. He provided wine at the wedding. One day Simon Peter came to him and said, uh, it's time to pay the taxes. How are we going to pay the taxes? And in Matthew 17, verse 27, Jesus said, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a stater. Take that and give it to them for you and me. Simon Peter, how are you going to pay for your taxes? Well, go down there and go catch a fish. Open its mouth, look in there. Now, when we go to Israel, we always eat what is called Peter's fish. Steve did not like Peter's fish. He said, I don't, I'm not eating anything that's looking at me. But we always eat Peter's fish. I've looked in their mouths every time. There's nothing in there. But I think probably I'm going to go fishing here about April the 14th or so, and some of you might want to go as well. He provided the money for taxes. He provides rest for the weary. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He provides for our needs. See, Jesus is omnipotent. He is God of gods and Lord of lords. And because he is omnipotent, because he is God, he meets our needs. But not only does he meet our needs, the Bible says that he does so abundantly. John 10, 10, I've come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I don't know what your story is, your experience is. I was praying earlier before I came in here. You know, sometimes I'm absolutely overwhelmed with the blessings of God and how, how good he's been. I said, God, you know, you have provided things I would not have known to ask for. That's really the truth. God has provided so abundantly provided things that I would not have known to ask for. The psalmist puts it this way, my cup overflows. Is that true with you? I mean, has the Lord blessed you that way? My cup overflows. He just runs it over. Not only does he fill it up, he said he runs it over. God blesses so abundantly that our cup overflows. And then God's blessings are contingent upon obedience. Now we see the command in verse number 5. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Well, it's obvious as you read that, that Mary did not feel that she had been rebuked by her son. So she says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it because he will meet the need at his time. But God's blessings... God's moving is contingent upon our obedience. We have to be obedient to Him. You know, a lot of times we want to be disobedient to the Lord and expect Him to bless. No, we have to be obedient to Him. So in verse number 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, these water pots that are there were, were water, was water that was set aside for the purpose of ceremonial cleansing. They washed in it before the meal. They washed in it after the meal. They cleaned the vessels in it so it was ceremonial. Then they went to the head waiter, verse number 8, and he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter, and they took it to him. The head waiter was the one who was in charge of everything. Albert Barnes wrote, he had the charge of the entertainment, provided the food, gave directions to the servants, so he was the wedding director. 
he's Sylvia Rich. He, he, was, he was coordinating everything that, that goes on here. And the servants obeyed. Now, here's the thing I like. Look at verse number 9. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, servants knew had drawn the water, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then that which is poorer, you have kept the good wine until now. You know the thing that is such a blessing to me? Is that the Lord saves the best for last. He saves the best for last. Marriage, marriage begins with a great deal of excitement, anticipation. But let me say especially to you young people who have not married yet, if you build your marriage upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, you're going to find as the years go by, it becomes increasingly satisfying. You see, whenever you're young and, and you're starting out, I mean, you know, you're excited about each other and all of those kinds of things. You fight a lot, don't you? Some of you young men, you know, you're just you're always contentious because what's happening is that you're becoming one. And if you just stay with it long enough, you know, you become one. There's a lot of things because he comes into it with his understanding of marriage. She comes into it with her understanding of marriage. And as you spend this time together and you work through it, you become one with your understanding of marriage. I've said before, I love Linda when I married her. I love her a lot more now. I have greater, I spent the first lot of years trying to fix her. And, and she had a lot of improvements she needed to make. So I spent a lot of time trying to work that out with her, you know, to fix her so she would be acceptable to God and to me. And then finally I just accepted her. That's who she is. And I have learned to appreciate her so much more. So he saves the best for last in marriage with your children. When your children are born, you're excited about it. There's great enthusiasm. But with my children, when they were little, I mean, I was excited about it too. I didn't know what to do with them, but I was excited that we had a couple of kids. I made a decision a conscious decision when they were little I would not be their friend and the reason for that is that I figured they had a, a lot of opportunity to have friends they had one opportunity to have a dad I was it I would not be their friend I would be their father you know the thing that amazed me as they became adults they're the best friends I have there's not anyone I'd rather be around than my kids so it started out with a considerable excitement but it is far more satisfying now. The Christian life, it's exciting when someone gets saved, but as you live for the Lord and walk with the Lord and trust in the Lord, it becomes more satisfying. Margaret Garrett was a lady that I loved. And, uh, you know, on a, some of you, many of you know Margaret. She's gone to be with the Lord. But I used to get her to sing because when she was young, she would sing in churches. And I used to get her to sing whenever I could, and she would sing, the longer I serve him, the sweeter it grows. That's really true. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you love him, the sweeter it grows. Let me conclude. This was the beginning of Jesus' miracles. 
but he continuously he continues to miraculously change lives today sinners become sons the unrighteous become righteous doubt becomes faith death becomes life and we go from hell to heaven he continues to work miracles when moses came to pharaoh the first sign he did was to turn water into blood signifying the judgment of god when jesus came the first sign he did was to turn water into wine signifying the joy of god's good news jesus transforms lives and fills them with joy do you know him do you know jesus ladies and gentlemen if you want a life that's worth living you'll find it in jesus christ father i thank you for your love for us i thank you for your sacrifice i thank you for your grace and lord i pray for anyone today who has not come to know jesus that they would i pray this in christ's name amen just a moment we're going to stand the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation if you're here without christ i encourage you to trust him if you're looking for a church home our doors are open to you stand with me please as we stand they sing you come i'll greet you as you do